0: Welcome to River Fellowship Podcast. At River Fellowship, we strive to experience God, exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage the world. This week, Lead Pastor Daryl Anderson takes us through Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. We are no match for the devil, but the devil is no match for our God. This passage reveals how we can stand victoriously against our enemies. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. Well, we are in Ephesians chapter six this morning. We're actually coming to a close in our study in Ephesians. And through the book, Paul started at the beginning just telling us about God's love, His grace, His mercy, His power, that we can experience fullness in Christ, that we can experience the riches of His grace. Then as he talked about all that we can experience in Him, he shifted and moved a little bit to the fact that because of this, we should live a life worthy of that calling. We should be imitators of God, showing love and shining light to people. Then he moved farther from there saying, take that dynamic into the most common relationships that you have, the relationship with your spouse, the relationship with your children, the work relationship that you're in. So he builds and then he comes to verse 10 in chapter six and in my translation, he says the word finally. And it's kind of this, Uh, dynamic where Paul is saying, okay, I'm coming to the end. I've, I've shared all of this with you now, and finally I'm coming to this last word that I wanna share with you. And the connotation here is that this is an extremely powerfully important word of encouragement that he wants to end his letter with. So with that in mind, let's see what this word of encouragement is. Ephesians 6, we'll pick it up in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord Be alert, and always keep on praying for the saints. Four broad truths jump out at me when I read through this passage. The first is, there are demonic forces. There is a supernatural enemy. There is this this realm in the supernatural that we cannot see that is full of this dynamic evil forces. And I know many people do not believe that. I know believers that don't really believe that there's this spiritual dynamic. But Paul believed it because he wrote about it. Jesus believed it because he experienced it. The second truth is, we are at war with this force. Or maybe more accurately said, they're at war with us. They're casting war and waging war against us. Thirdly though, is we can't win this battle on our own. It's obvious as you walk through the text that we're helpless in and of ourselves, but the good news is The fourth truth is that victory's in our grasp if we prescribe to the instruction. In these first several verses, he uses the word stand, to stand, therefore stand. And this word, it's a word picture of of power and strength, that once the storms blow through, you're still standing. Once the the war has been waged, you're still standing. It's really the picture of two people go to battle and the one left standing. They're the one that's victorious. That's the word picture here. So once this war is taking place, you can stand if you prescribe to what he's going to encourage us with. So with that in mind, let's walk through the passage and there are four uh, words that I wanna build this around to help us understand what Paul's trying to communicate for us here. The first word is the word schemer. Verse 11 tells us that there is a schemer and he identifies him as the devil. Now who's the devil? Well, Revelation twelve tells us that he's a fallen angel. John eight forty four labels him as a liar. Second Corinthians eleven fourteen defines him as the deceiver. Genesis three one calls him crafty, and that's not Pinterest crafty. Okay, that's sly and cunning crafty. And the Gospels tell us that he knows who Christ is and he knows the Word of God. But there are also some things about the devil that he is not, that we know that he is not. One, he's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He's not omnipotent. He doesn't have all power. In other words, the devil is a created being. Therefore, he does not encompass or have the eternal, infinite um, power of the creator. He's just a created being. But then verse 11 tells us the second word. And that's schemes. Verse 11, the schemer is scheming. And the picture Paul's going to paint to us is that the schemer is active scheming against us. In other words, he's constantly devising and executing attacks on you as a follower of Christ. Now, the scheme takes a variety of of fronts, if you will. One front is the fall, original sin. Back when, when Satan was tempting Eve and Eve succumbed, Original sin came in, the fall of man came in. That was part of the enemy's scheme to get us separated from the life that, that God offers. The second part of this scheme is what we would just call the world system. He's the prince of the air, the prince of this world, so the, the, the world system, the way it operates, is part of his scheme. That's why in Romans 12, 2, Paul tells us, don't be conformed to the world. Why? Because when we allow ourselves to take the shape and the mold of the world system, we're actually buying into the scheme of the schemer. A third aspect of this attack is what I'll just call delegated demonic involvement. In other words, we see in verse 12 that there is a group, there's a team. We know from other passages that a third of the angels fell with Satan. So there is an army of, of, of the demonic. If you go through the gospels, you see... Multiple indications and examples of, de- of demon uh, oppression. So there's this demonic involvement that all of these guys are just out here wrecking havoc and scheming against us. The fourth element is just what I call direct involvement. And this is where the enemy, Satan himself, has direct involvement in the scheme. We see that with Eve. We saw that with Jesus in the wilderness temptations. We saw that with Judas. We see that with the witnesses in Revelation. So all of this activity, all of this kind of four-pronged attack has one purpose and one goal. He has one purpose, and that is to take life from you. He wants to take life from you. 1 Peter 5.8 says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So Satan is just prowling around and he is waiting for that opportunity where he can come in and attack. John 10, 10 says the thief, speaking of the devil, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But then Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And that word life is the Greek word zoe, which means life just the way God intended. So Satan is coming to take away life the way that God intended to give you life. So let me illustrate that for you this morning. I want you to see the word picture of what he's trying to do in your life. I have three three apples here, since we know the original sin was an apple, right? No, we really don't. It was a fruit, but the commonality is it's an apple, so let's just use this as an illustration to help you understand what the enemy's trying to do in his scheme. This apple here represents... Life as God intended. This is a fresh, new, good apple. It's delicious. If we were to partake of this apple, it's gonna provide nourishment, it's great taste, and this represents what God is offering us. Everything he's talked about in chapters one, two, three, 3, his love, his grace, his power, his fullness, his riches, all that, everything that God is, everything that God has that he wants to partake, wants us to partake from, he wants us to, to experience, that's represented by this apple. God wants us to partake of this apple. But Satan comes, he's the masquerader of light, so he comes and he wants to tempt us with one goal in mind, to keep you from partaking of what God's offered. So he offers you this apple. And from your distance, this apple looks very much like that apple, like it's a great apple. But if you look at it more closely, it's rotten to the core. Anyone that bites into this apple, (laughs) you're gonna spit it out because it's a rotten apple to the core. But what Satan does is he tries to shift you with his schemes off of what God offers you into what he offers you. It looks good, it looks pleasing, it looks healthy, it looks life-giving. But once you begin to partake of it, you realize it's rotten to the core. And the result is death and destruction. So what he's trying to get you to do is buy into his lie so that you will partake of the death and destruction. Or, if he can't get you with the rotten apple, if he can't get you into destructive lifestyles and destructive sin that will destroy you, he offers you this apple. And this is a fake apple, this is a plastic apple. There's nothing inside of it, it looks real, but if you were to bite this, it's gonna be hollow, you'll get nothing but air on the inside, it's empty. So if Satan can't get you to partake of self-destructive behavior, he will get you chasing that which will leave you unfulfilled. In other words, he's gonna promise, hey, if you partake of this that I'm offering you, it'll give you life, it'll give you contentment, it'll give you fulfillment, it'll give you peace. Everything you're longing for, everything you're looking for, if you'll partake of this, you'll receive it. And then you bite into it and you realize over a period of time, it just left me empty and lifeless, So that's his goal in his schemes, is to get you away from the life that God offers and bite into what he's offering. So the schemer is scheming. But because of that, God offers two things to give us the ability to stand in the midst of those schemes. And it's the third and the fourth word. And those are protection and power. God offers his protection and his power against the scheming of the schemer." Think of it as an offense and a defense. There's an old adage that says, the best offense is a good defense. I wanna change that, I think there's a better adage. The best offense is a good offense, and the best defense is a good defense. You gotta have both a good offense and a good defense. In boxing or MMA, protecting yourself from damaging blows is just as important as delivering damaging blows. In business, to protect your company from hackers and from from those that would wanna harm your company, that's just as important as having an aggressive marketing and sales strategy. So what he's saying here is it's important to have both good offense and good defense. So in this analogy, we can see protection as God's defense and God's power as his offense, protecting us from the scheme or scheme. So let's look at the protection first. God offers protection. And it's important, in verse 13, he begins to identify what that protection looks like. And it's important to have the right protection for the right enemy. Let's say I'm gonna go, uh, not today, but one of these days when it's really pretty and nice and hot and sunny and I wanna go out and I'm gonna spend four or five hours outside, hiking or golfing or working in the yard, whatever. What should I put on to protect myself, bug spray or sunscreen? Well, the right answer is it depends what you're trying to protect yourself against. If I'm trying to protect myself from mosquitoes, I need to put on bug spray because sunscreen's not going to help. But if I'm trying to protect myself from sunburn, then I put on the sunscreen because the bug spray's not going to help. So I have to put on the right protective covering to give me the right protection from the right enemy. And that's really what Paul's talking about here when he begins to identify this. He he gives us the perfect protection against what the enemy's trying to do to us. Verse 11, verse 13, what does it say? Put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. As As I read those passages over the last couple of weeks just thinking through this, my mind just kinda started wondering. I started chasing some rabbits. And I began to think to myself, I wish he would have said something else. It'd have been great if he'd have just said something else. I wish that he would have said, hey, you know what? Just put on your pajamas. Just put on some pajamas. Man, you're a Christian, you're in Christ, you're going to heaven, and now because of that, man, it's just easy street just chill out, no problems, no issues, no struggle, just put them jammers on, get some coffee, sit and watch some TV, just relax, just chill. That'd have been a lot better, wouldn't it? He didn't say that. Neither did he say, hey guys, just put on your vacation clothes. Put that nice Hawaiian shirt on. Just go take that vacation, get your little camera on, just be a tourist. Just go on vacation. Just enjoy yourself. Man, life is a party. God's given you all this great stuff. Just go enjoy it. Just be narcissistic. Just think about yourself and just have a good time and life is just gonna be one big party now that you're in Christ. Wouldn't that have been better? I think it would have been a lot better. (laughs) Or he could have said, hey, just put on your Sunday go-to-meeting clothes. <laughs> because now that you're in Christ, all you've got to do is just go to church on Sunday morning. That's all you've got to do. You're secure in Christ. Everything's going to be good. There aren't any problems. And all you're going to need to do to, to experience everything that God has for you and to live this great stuff, everything that he's been talking about, all you've got to do is come to church on Sunday morning, once, one, one hour a week, and you're good to go. Wouldn't that have been a lot easier? He didn't say any of that. What'd he say? If he was talking today, he would have said, hey guys, put your camo on. It's time to go to war. It's time to do battle. What he's saying is, amidst all the good and the glory and all the things that God offers, there is an element here that we have to remember. That's why he's ending the book with this. There's something that you have to remember. I've told you all of this and all of this is good and all of this is real and you can experience every bit of this but you have to remember there's a battle going on. You have an enemy and he is constantly devising ways to steal life from you. So you need to suit up, you need to camo up, you need to what? said in verse 11 and 13, put on the full armor of God because Satan does not want you to experience life, but God does. And so he's provided first some protection. Now, what's interesting to me in this protection is it perfectly protects us from every scheme that the devil will throw at us. There's what I call the four deadly D's. I call them the devil's deadly D's, D as in a capital D. But for every one of these deadly D's, God has given us protection. Here's the first one. It's what I call deception. Part of his scheme is deception. He wants to deceive us. He wants us to believe that what he offers is better than what God offers and that we can partake of what he offers And have life so he wants to deceive us so how does he say we protect from that verse 14 he tells us stand firm with the belt of truth it's this belt of truth that keeps us from buying the lies of deception now back in that day the belt of truth probably served two purposes one it probably held some some weapons on the belt but it would also kind of hold his tunic up when he could He had to run, he could kind of tuck some of his clothes into his belt. So one, he wouldn't trip up when he's running and two, he had some weaponry right there at his disposal. That's what he's saying here with the belt of truth. It's vitally important that we know the word of God, that we know the truth of the word of God because it's the word of God that gives us the ability to fight. We have to know the truth. If we don't know the truth, then we can't spot the lie and the deception. But if we know the truth, Then when the deception comes, we say, no, that's not truth, that's a deception. So one, it keeps us from stumbling and tripping up in our Christian journey, but then it also provides us with that defensive weaponry to know the truth. The second deadly D is distraction. If the enemy can't get us with deception, then he's gonna try to get us with distraction. This is where the world's allure comes in. And not even sinful world, just, just, a, just a change of what's important, a change of what is my purpose and my goal. In other words, just a shift in what I really ought to be about. So he distracts me with what the world has to offer and gets me off track. But God's given us two elements here to protect us from distraction. The first is verse 14. That's the breastplate of righteousness. That word righteousness just means right living. And that breastplate in the armor would cover the heart and all the vital organs. What he's really saying here is this dynamic of righteousness protects our heart, it keeps us focused on what God is really calling us to do. It keeps us away from some of the lustful pleasures, the world's allure that we might wanna be dragged into. It keeps our heart pure, focused on God and our love for him, rather than letting that shift to love for the world. But secondly, he gives us in verse 15, just what I call fitted feet. My translation says it, feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel. This is a reminder about our purpose. Our purpose is to advance the kingdom. Our purpose is to share the gospel. Our purpose is to be people that are out there in the world. In our mission statement, we call it engaging the world. We're to be out there in the world, engaging our world with the gospel. What we've talked about two weeks ago, showing love and shining light to those that don't have Christ. So what these two pieces of weapons do for us, one, it gives us a heart, it protects our heart that we wanna live for Christ, we wanna love God, we wanna live a life that pleases Him, that's focused on Him, and at the same time, it gives us this feat and this purpose to go out and share the gospel and be people that are trying to advance the kingdom. That keeps us from getting distracted when Satan brings these things and said, hey, shift over here. We say, no, I've got a higher purpose and a higher calling. Here's the third deadly D, doubt. Satan wants to create doubt in your mind and in your heart as to the integrity of God, the character of God, the goodness of God, the love of God, the power of God, the grace of God. He wants to create some doubt in your mind that you begin to think because of circumstances or whatever's going on in your life, God really doesn't love me. Maybe God doesn't really love me. Maybe God doesn't really have my best at heart. Maybe God doesn't really have the power to affect any change in my life. He wants to create doubt in your heart and in your spirit. So what does he give us? Verse 16, he gives us the shield of faith. It says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. It's a great word picture. Again, remember, Paul uses the perfect illustration for what he's trying to communicate, and it's the the armor of the soldier, Roman soldier. And it's probably, he's in prison, so he's probably looking at the soldier at his stuff while he's writing and saying, yeah, 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 and he's just prescribing it. But um, some scholars tell us that some of these shields back in the day would be covered with animal hide, and those shields were specifically designed to put out flaming arrows from the enemy. So when the flaming arrows would come forth, they had this shield with animal hide, it hits the shield and animal hide would snuff out the flame. At the same time, because it's in front of the soldier, it keeps that arrow from penetrating the soldier. So here's what he's saying. When Satan comes to throw all these flaming arrows at you about doubt, God doesn't really love you. God can't take care of you. There's no such thing as grace. What happens, our faith in him, the assurance, the reality that we know God is who he says he is and God can do what he says he can do. That everything he tells about himself in his word, we know that's true. When we stand with that shield of faith and those fiery flaming arrows hit, our faith is what snuffs out those arrows. Our faith is what keeps his attack from penetrating our heart where we begin to believe those things and those lies. So he gives us the shield of faith to protect us. Here's the fourth deadly D, and that's discouragement. And this D might be the most devastating because it's the sneakiest. (laughs) It it seems like the, the least intrusive but at the same time, it seems like it's the one that kind of sneaks up on you. And after a period of time, you don't even really realize what's going on in your heart, but you just find yourself so discouraged. It leads to this sense of helplessness, of hopelessness, I just can't do this anymore, I've been trying to live the Christian life, I've been trying to overcome this temptation, I've been trying to do all this, things are just piling on and it's just things getting worse and nothing's worked and stuff just piles on and after a period of time, man, you're just so discouraged. What has He given for us to help us in those times of discouragement? Verse 17 tells us it's the helmet of salvation. It's the reality of who we are in Christ It's the ability to remember who we are in Christ, what we have in Christ, what Christ has done for us, remembering that his love is unconditional and it's unmerited, that I'm firmly in his grip of grace, that my salvation is by grace through faith. It's not of works, it's not of myself, it's not anything that I've done, that his love for me and my salvation has nothing to do with my performance, it's from his grace and I'm firm in the grip of grace and that he loves me and he's empowered me. this helmet of salvation, when I remember what I've been given through the death of Jesus Christ, I can realize now, you know what, I am more than a conqueror, I'm in the grip of grace, I'm in the grip of love, Satan has lost because Christ has redeemed me. So what we see in this defensive element of protection is everything that Satan throws at us, God's given us the armor of protection. But if that weren't good enough, God throws on something else and it's the offense and that's the power. He gives us power. Look in verse 10. He says, be strong in yourself. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. In other words, remembering that this war can't be won on your own. Here's, if, if you don't hear anything, hear this. This one statement that you can take home with you. We are no match for the devil. But the devil is no match for our God. Just remember that. We are no match for the devil. If you try to fight him in your own strength and in your own wisdom, you will lose. But the devil is no match for our God and he demonstrates that through his power. And he gives us at least five power sources that I will identify that all work together as this offensive power source against our enemy. The first is the power of Christ. Look in verse 12. It says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So who is our battle against? The rulers, the authorities, the powers, and the forces. Let me refer you back to chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. We dealt with this several weeks ago. But if you remember in that passage, Paul talked about this incredibly great power, this incomparably great power that we have in Christ. That this power that he exerted was like the power that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. In other words, we have resurrection power. And now God has seated him in the heavenly realms where... Far above, it says, which means he's far superior, far greater. There's no comparison. There's such a great chasm between the two. Far above who? All rule, authority, power, and dominion. Here's the connection. In chapter 6, he tells us we're battling against the rulers and the authorities and the powers and the dominions of this dark world. But in verse 1, he told us in advance, Christ has already dominated all those same rulers, authorities, powers, and dominions. So that which we are fighting against or those that are fighting against us, Christ has already declared that there's power in his name. There is power in the name of Jesus. That's not just a chorus that we sing. That is a reality and a truism that we need to get in the depth of our heart and our spirit, that there's power in the name of Jesus Christ. And we can claim that power when the enemy comes against us. The second power is the power of the word, verse 17. We have the power of the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. We know that it was the word of God that Jesus used when the enemy was attacking him. Psalm 19 says that I've hidden your word in my heart, why? That I might not sin against you. So the word becomes that power that enables us to stand within the midst of temptation. Add to that the power of the spirit because it says there in verses 17, 18, it's the word of the spirit. It's the sword of the spirit. The the word and the spirit work together in tandem and they come together. We have the power of the word of God. We have the power of the spirit of God. It's the spirit of God that empowers the word of God and the spirit resides in us and becomes our power source. That's why we dealt with chapter five when he said be filled with the spirit The reason he wants us to be filled with the Spirit is the more permission we give the Spirit to access our life, the more we yield to the Spirit of God in us, the more filled we are, the more power we have, the more ability we have to resist the schemes of the schemer. But then he gives us a fourth power source and that's the power of prayer. He says, pray in the Spirit. He goes on and says, pray always for the saints. In verse 19 he says, hey, pray for me because I'm out doing this work and I need prayer because Paul understood the power of prayer. And I'll be honest with you, I don't understand the power of prayer, but I know there's power in prayer. I don't know how it all works together, but I know it works because I know power activates my faith and I know prayer accesses God's activity. And I don't know specifically how all that works, I just know when God's people pray, God does stuff. Because there's power in prayer. That's why we're having prayer services once a month, to do nothing but pray, because there's power in prayer. Fifthly, though, is the power of our testimony. And this plays into the helmet of salvation again. Revelation 12, 11 says that they overcame him, speaking of the accuser, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. When you say yes to Jesus, or, or when you said yes to Jesus, when you said yes to the substitutionary death, when you said yes to grace, when you said yes to this free gift that God gives of salvation, when you said yes to him, you won. The word of your testimony defeated the schemer on that day and you're victorious. You have the ultimate victory and you have ultimate life because you said yes to the Savior. Now there's still a battle we're in the midst of, but the ultimate victory The ultimate life has been won and Satan cannot have you because you've won the victory because of the word of your testimony. But what that also means is if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, there's never been that time in your life when you said, Jesus, I recognize that you died for me and I want to surrender my life and give you my life and ask you to forgive me and to come in. If you've never had that experience, then you don't have God's protection, you don't have God's power. So you are wide open, without any defense, against the attack of the schemer. But you don't have to leave this morning in that state, because all you have to do is say, Jesus Christ, I want you into my life. I know you're the savior, I know you died for my sin. Would you come in, would you forgive me, and would you cleanse me? And at that point, you win the victory by the word of your testimony, and all of God's protection and all of God's power becomes available to your resource. So here's here's the point of what Paul says here as he closes out all of this. The schemer's schemes are no match for God's protection and power. So, where the protection and utilize the power. And when you do that, the temptations of the enemy will become less appealing, and your heart would be drawn to what God has to offer, and when that happens, you experience the life that God has for you. Let's pray together. Take just a moment and allow the Spirit to minister to your heart. Ask Him to reveal that one are two elements that, man, that's what I needed to hear. The Spirit will identify that for you. If you feel like you've been losing the battle, just talk to the Spirit about that this morning because you can be victorious. Father we're so thankful that you've given us everything that we need to defend ourselves from the enemy and to overcome the enemy with power. And Father I know in my life, and I'm sure in probably everybody's life in here this morning, there are times when that just does not feel true. (laughs) There are times it feels like we're losing, it feels like I'm unprotected. So, Father, in those days, may your spirit come anew and afresh and awaken us to the reality that we have in Christ, protection and power from the enemy. So burn that truth in us, Father. I pray if there's anyone here that does not know you, I pray that they would not leave this morning without knowing you. Thanks for listening. To learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, or to hear more messages, go to rfamarillo.org. Thanks. Have a great week.